Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Gabe DeArmond here, also on your screen right now, Justin Rowland and Gerard Hamilton. And uh, this is Power Mizzou Live Wednesday afternoon. I know those of you that watch this see a professional polished uh, product by the time we manage to get it on the air every week. But, uh, you know, you would think you would that I would know what I'm doing, doing this two, three times a week. But sometimes there's a couple hiccups behind the scenes. Still, it is three o'clock. We are here on a Wednesday afternoon. We're going to preview Mizzou and Kentucky momentarily. If you're watching live with us, feel free to ask questions, make comments. We will get to those later on in the show. Before we get to talking about the Tigers and the Wildcats, we always want to thank our sponsor. That is James Carlton, State Farm Insurance. You can find him on the internet, carltoninsurance.net. By phone at 314-961-4800. James can take care of any of your insurance needs and hopefully save you a little money in the process. And he's even going to dip into his own pocket if you tell him you heard about this on uh, heard about his office on Power Mizzou. And he gives you a quote. He's going to donate $20 to Advancing Missouri Athletes Mizzou's NIL Collective. But uh, our guest is here. We don't want to waste any more of his day than we uh, we otherwise would. Justin Rowland, the publisher of Cats Illustrated, the Kentucky site on the Rivals Network. And Justin, I just want to start off saying that normally we like to do a little research and pretend we know a little bit about the opponent um, going into the game. But one look at Kentucky's 82-page game notes made me think, maybe we'll just have Justin on to talk about it. Maybe I don't want to read a novel about the Kentucky football team this year. <laughs> it kind of feels appropriate, the way this season has gone. But that's just that's the way Kentucky fans are. I'm sure Missouri fans are that way. They do a good job over at UK Athletics. And really big game for both teams for different reasons, it, it feels like. Yeah. I I want to start off just with this. Uh, this seems to me kind of to be uh, Missouri's maybe best series in the SEC or most interesting series. South Carolina has been a little bit, but Kentucky's closer. Uh, the, the team that's won this game finishes higher in the division standings. That's been Kentucky more often than not. But what's the view of this series from the Kentucky side? Because in my opinion, you're always going to have Georgia then these teams are kind of fighting to get into that mix every year, maybe second, third in the division. Yeah, it's been a really competitive series. And I think when Kentucky fans talk about going on the road to Missouri, they know, I think the, the, the widespread feeling is this could be a tough, this could be a tough game. The games have been competitive there with, with a couple of exceptions and, you know, their experience of the series is totally different, feeling like, hey, this is a newer program. They went to the championship game a couple of times right when they came into the league. But I think Kentucky fans, they may be fooling themselves a little bit because they, they, they constructed this narrative where it's never acceptable to lose to South Carolina, Missouri or Vanderbilt. And they've right. been fortunate. They've been fortunate to, to play well against those teams for the last several years, but it hadn't always been that way. And they want to think that they're beyond losing games like that, but it's a two-point spread, and I've got them as the underdog this weekend. So that, that's how Kentucky fans feel about it, but we'll see. Is that how the, the players are looking at it? Because I know safety Martez Mayo from Zuri was saying that he gave a, a pretty a great pregame speech that everybody from Drinkowitz all down to, you know, every player is kind of saying that speech versus before South Carolina game was just – it was one of the best they heard in a minute, and he was talking about respect. He feels that Missouri has a lack of respect in the conference, and 
he and other players have said this game is more of a rivalry game more than the manufactured rivalry they have with Arkansas. Does Kentucky, do Kentucky players see it that way as well? It's interesting. Stoops took a similar question about the Tennessee game in a very different direction last week. They asked him if he heard more about Tennessee or Louisville, and he said, oh, I hear a lot more about Louisville. Well, they never beat Tennessee, so that's right. that's an interesting approach. But, yeah, I, I, think, I think the players' motivation is not going to be an issue. I mean, they – Kentucky's coaching staff has always spoken very highly of Mizzou staff. I, I've, I've always sensed that they thought very highly of Barry Odom staff. I, mm-hmm. I always heard they felt like he was a guy who was doing it the, the right way. And I've heard similar things with, with Drinkwitz and the way they played last time they were down there and, and the way that they've played after losses under Stoops. Um, it, I don't think it's so much about Missouri this week for them as is, is this team going to rebound at any point this year? Or is this like one of Stoops earlier teams that's just never able to, to get back up after they get punched? Well, I would say if I was on Mark Stoops staff, I also would have thought highly of Barry Odom because I went four and zero against him. Um, But uh, so I want to get a little bit into, tell me what, what is Will Levis? Because we see this stuff that, Hey, this is a first round quarterback. To me, I think that's more it says more about the NFL and how they overvalue the position and, and sometimes panic. And, and I think Will Levis is a solid college quarterback. But we also see games like last week with 98 yards and three picks. I mean, how good is this guy consistently? The, the riddle wrapped inside a mystery and, and an enigma <laughs> kind of sums it up well. He he's gonna be a first round pick. And whether he's a top 10 pick or not, I don't know. But they've got him grouped with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud as one of the top three quarterbacks in the class. The caveat being it's not because of anything he's done at the college right. level. We just have to be honest about that. Like he's he's off the charts plus plus in some trait categories. Arms, arm strength, the way it comes out, competitiveness. He, 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 he acts like a leader. I mean, there, there's there's no reason to doubt that this guy has the stuff to be really good one day. But I've said for a long time he's more of he's more of a a sledgehammer than a scalpel. Um, he's not necessarily known for picking you apart for making a string of 15 passes in a row. That wow, he's just these are he's dropping dimes left and right. Um, it's more. Did you see that throw? I don't think there are more than two or three other players in the country who can make that throw. The turnovers have continued to follow him. And this year it's kind of hard to talk about because the offensive line play has been so bad. You never know how much of it to lay at the feet of the offensive coordinator or Levis. But I, I think most Kentucky fans the season when people would criticize Le- Levis, they kind of roll their eyes. Frankly, I would roll my eyes a little bit. But the more you watch him, you start to see some validity in the criticism. And it becomes impossible to deny this guy. You might draft him in the first round, but there's no guarantee that he's going to round into the kind of quarterback that you hope he does. Kind of a piggyback question as far as Will Levis. uh, And this is more of a two part kind of separate question. One, do you have a a quarterback comparison of of what he reminds you of? And two, I've seen a I don't remember how many weeks ago this was, but he had like a dislocated finger or something like that. Is that injury kind of? Part of some of these turnovers and the shaky players and other things going on. I'm sure he, he would love to say yes, but I, I, he's kind of, kind of had the ball security issue for a while now. Some of the turnovers this year have been undeniable because of pressure, because he's been under pressure. He's been on the run. He's taken shots that you couldn't have anticipated that early in the play. But um, no, no, I mean, he's had a ball security issue that preceded that. Um, 
the one the one thing that is kind of a common theme in the turnovers and where he needs to get as a quarterback is he doesn't have the most um, the, the greatest feel for pressure in the pocket. When to step up, when to flush out, how quickly he sometimes he's a half second slow getting it out. Sometimes he's a half second early. The timing of being a quarterback in the pocket with pressure flying around him is, I think, where he has to grow. Uh, so that more than the injury, I would say. Do you have a comparison I, for him? Josh Allen. A lot of people say Josh Allen. That's what you hope he becomes. That's what you hope he becomes. But, so are we yeah, saying I Wyoming mean, Josh Allen? Like we, yeah. we're at this point. Okay. Okay. No, yeah. Why well, we have to specify at Kentucky? Yeah. But uh, right. But that's yeah, I, that's, I don't know. I, that's yeah. amazing. I I was gonna say honestly, this sounds like what I what Missouri fans were saying four years ago about Drew Locke. Yeah. Like I would watch Drew Locke in every game and go, he makes a throw every week that I go, there's nobody else in the country. There's 12 people on the planet who make that throw. And then I would watch him make another throw and go, there's not 12 people on the planet who would make that, who would try to make that throw, you know? And, and it led to kind of mixed results in college. And then it hasn't clicked for Drew in the pros. And I guess the gamble is see if it does for, for Levis. Zero first downs in the second half against Kentucky in that yes. 2018 game. So you saw the good and the bad. I mean, and that's the way it is. I thought that Levis had put the kind of game that he had against Tennessee behind him. I thought that if he had if he had functioned in the kind of pressure he was facing to that point, it was never going to get that bad again. But he did it against Mississippi State last year. And it was turnover after turnover after turnover. And so clearly mentally, even though he he talks like 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 a great leader and he's he's gonna score off the charts on the wonderlick test too because he really is yeah. super sharp he's a very smart guy a sponge but in the pocket that muscle memory is a little bit different than than above the neck i think so i'm interested like we've talked all the talk so far has been the quarterback position and that's natural that's what we do with teams but with missouri i think this is a team where they're not relying on their quarterback to win a game. They're relying on their quarterback not to lose a game. What's this Kentucky team? Are, do they need Will Levis to go win them games, or are they just asking Will Levis not to lose them games at this point? You know, I mean, it's e Kentucky fans are kind of in a foul mood right now, and, and I, I hate to take it big picture, but they've got to stop working themselves up into this is the year we go to Atlanta because that's where a lot of the negativity comes from. Nobody in college football is surprised that Tennessee beat Kentucky except the Kentucky fans who had convinced themselves they were going to go and take Kirby Smart's place playing against Nick mm -hmm. Saban in Atlanta. And it's just, I, why do you do, your, do that to yourself? Uh, but uh, you kind of, I kind of veered off topic there. What was the question again? Yeah. I, I, I mean, does Kentucky need Levis? Yeah. Like, do they need goodwill Levis to win games or can they win games without him being good? Uh I was before the season, I would have said no, unless you're talking about the Georgia game. Now, what we know about Tennessee, I think they can beat Missouri if Levis is a game manager. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm not convinced they're going to beat Missouri, and I've got him as the underdog in this game. Uh, but we just saw him beat Mississippi State 27 to 17. And it was lean, it, Drinkwitz talked this week about complimentary football for Missouri looks like leaning on a defense that is more mm -hmm. equipped to win you games. And that's still where Kentucky is. It's never not been the case under Stoops. Now, from, from what I've heard from the players and coaches, they just keep saying that Kentucky in this run game, that's what, that's going to get the kind of get the engine going. But when I'm looking at Missouri's much thinner uh, game notes, it's saying, <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, it's saying that um, the passing offense ranked 68th in the country with 240 yards per game. And then the rushing offense is 112.6 with 100 
they're not 109th. So, so what's the what's the thing there? A lot of people are talking about getting the run going, but it seems like the pass is better. What's their dynamic? Are they running the pass or passing the run? Well, okay, so they they haven't made up their mind. To coordinator Rich Scangarello came in from the NFL. Stoops got blunt. He got drunk off of these NFL assistants with last year's mm-hmm. success. Liam Cohen is now in line to be an NFL head coach. He's the offensive coordinator for the Rams, and he's like, I'm going to hire NFL guys. Scangarello is in the NFL, but the transition to college has not been as smooth and as seamless. And just frankly, Cohen clearly, when he came in, you could tell he knew okay, the hashes are different, so this has got to be different, and that's got to be different. Scangarello's coming in. He's running a very pro-style offense. They're probably as pro-style as any college team in the country. And I'm not saying spreading it out or, or, or more tempo or slinging it around more is going to make it, make it easier for the offensive line, but playing bunched up like they do, it it doesn't make it easier for the line. It, it, it puts a lot of defenders around the ball, and it, and it makes it harder to block. Uh, and so some games they've had one game plan, some games they've had another game plan, and Scangarello's taken a lot of criticism, probably rightfully so this year. I would imagine that it's going to be pretty run heavy. After three Levis picks, Chris Rodriguez, you ride the horse that that is one of the best in program history. I think that you're going to get a heavy, heavy dose of C-Rod. Last thing offensively from me, and look, we have seen this up close for the first seven, six, seven weeks of this season. I don't think it matters what you do if you can't block someone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like Kentucky isn't just not as good on the line as Kentucky has been lately. They have some like historically bad SEC numbers pass protection wise. Is this is this line as bad as the numbers have made it look? Yes. And that, last <laughs> I saw it was the most it was the most sacks any team had given up in the SEC through like the seven SEC. games since 2007. Yeah, since Missouri like joined, talking, I know. Yeah. yeah, 12 or 14 times 15 years. That's a lot of teams ranked ahead. And uh, the problem is they haven't been able to isolate the problems. Okay, the left side struggling to block the run. The right side struggling to block the pass. They've got guys playing out of position. They've had a lot of recruiting misses. They knew that they were going to get a left tackle from the portal, and it just didn't happen. Tyler Steen is at Alabama because they took Kentucky's offensive line coach. Uh, and so it, it everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. And uh, this is their third offensive line coach in three years. And so they're in a situation now where the offensive line was key to everything they did as a program. And you you have to start from scratch there. No guarantee you're going to get back to it. I actually think this is a pretty pivotal juncture for the program, for the identity that Stoops has built. He, try, he, he had gotten it to the point where, okay, they can run, but they can't pass. And in trying to make it more balanced uh, and better overall, they lost something that had been an essential ingredient. So, so it's been a huge drop-off. Justin, help me uh, figure out this Kentucky defense. I, I haven't started my preview yet, so I don't know if there's some first-round picks I don't know about, but this is a top 25 defense, a top 20 passing defense. I mean, who are the you know defensive playmakers that the Missouri's offense is going to have to watch out for? The whole is better than the sum of the parts in, in this situation. There, I, I don't know that there's one top three or four round pick on the defense. I really don't. And, and um, but they've got a lot of guys that are very experienced and schooled in the scheme. Kentucky's defense is all about a shell. It's a, you, you take away explosives. And one of the reasons they kind of struggle with Missouri in some of these games in the past is Missouri more than some other teams, previous Missouri teams were more content to take the five and the six yard check down and, and just kind of take what came to you. Um, and uh, th- this year, it's been much of the same, but they obviously didn't 
cut down on the explosives last week against Tennessee. So uh, linebacker Jacquez Jones is out. Uh, safety Jalen Geiger is out. Um, linebacker DeAndre Square was banged up. They're, they're pretty banged up on the back seven. And uh, yeah, I, I would say the linebackers coming into the season was the strength of the team. Four experienced captains at that level of the defense, but they could be without two of those guys this week. And uh, and so they're they're definitely reeling a little bit. Well, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for Kentucky fans, but five or six yards is explosive for this Missouri offense this year. So, uh, so you know, it'll be interesting. Uh, I mean, your def- your description of the Kentucky defense, I use the exact same phrase for the Missouri defense. Like, I don't know that they have a guy that's going in the first two rounds of the NFL draft, but it's yeah. a top 25-ish defense in the country this year. I mean, the only thing I know about this game, Justin – I think 21 points wins this game. I, I just can't see any scenario where either offense tops that. I could see that. And I just I don't believe that I, I think Kentucky's going to keep it very simple. They got really uh tricky with a trick play in the South Carolina game, and that blew up. It cast a it was a it was a black cloud that hung over the whole game. They never recovered from that. And then last week against Tennessee, the three picks for Levis and Stoops in the press conference basically calls out the offensive staff and says it better get better. And uh, a lot of people took that as nothing is off the table when we get to the end of the season. So I think um, when Stoops has been in a situation that's back against the wall like this, they've run it. They've gone back to what they want. The question is, is the line going to be good enough to let them do that? Gerard, you got one more? Uh, No, I think uh, he he answered a lot more than I I thought he was. (laughs) I appreciate you, Justin, helping with the treatment tomorrow. Yeah, no, no just missing first team All Americans. No hiding All Americans out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to wrap up with with one thought from you. Um, look, Mark Stoops' name has popped up in the carousel for like three straight years now. He's never gone anywhere. Um, I, I have said I think this is a big game for Mark Stoops because it feels to me like, and I don't know Stoops, so I don't know what he wants out of his coaching career, but. There are places where, you know, I I said this about Matt Campbell. Like, I think he might have hit the ceiling at Iowa State, and now you wonder how much longer he stays. If Mark Stoops has hit the ceiling at Kentucky, like, is he happy staying there and winning nine games and maybe 10, that's the ceiling? Or do you see him as a guy who might view this year or next year as kind of, hey, this is my shot to go kind of chase that ring in a place that can win a title. Because if we're being honest about college football, Kentucky and Missouri really aren't places you can win titles right now. Right. Well, he's, he's had a lot of change in the last year. He's, he's overturned half of his staff. There's the portal. There's NIL, which he doesn't seem to be crazy about. He's not. He doesn't really love recruiting. He's gone through divorce in the last year. A lot of change in the last year for him. But I've never sensed he's super eager to get out because they pay him so much. He's going to be making upwards of $6 million a year with auto, auto instinct extensions for seven wins and just crazy stuff in the SEC. And, I mean, just, just real talk, it Stoops is the perfect fit at Kentucky because Kentucky mm-hmm. fans yeah. might in the moment go crazy losing to Tennessee, but you're never going to fire somebody for going 8-4 and four at Kentucky. You're never going to fire that person. And Stoops has them there year in and year out. And, frankly – um, I, I see a lot of people say, well, if only Florida State had hired him three or four years ago. I, I understand where Florida State's coming from. Stoops has to prove that he is the kind of coach who can win a national championship. There's questions about the offense, about the approach, about the philosophy that works well at Kentucky. But is that a form, the formula, preferred formula at a college football blue blood? And I don't think it is anywhere. So, so it's worked out well for Kentucky and bad for Stoops if he does want to move on. 
Yeah, look, I'll just say this. Mark Stoops has made Kentucky at least debatably to everyone except John Calipari a football school. So good for him. <laughs> They're respectable. We'll, we'll keep it there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Justin, appreciate it, man. Uh, let us know if you need anything the rest of the week. Thank you, guys. All right, that is Justin Rowling, Cats Illustrated publisher, uh, covers Kentucky. Those guys do a really good job over there covering the Wildcats. Encourage you guys to check out their site uh, if you want some insight. Um, I don't know, Gerard, this is another I've, – I've decided this week, I think this league has five good teams. I think you got Georgia, Tennessee, Bama on level one, LSU, Ole Miss on level two, who could could beat level one on any given day. Vanderbilt's on level four and every other team in this league, throw them in a hat and one day they'll win and one day they'll lose. And I'm not sure there's much difference between those seven, eight teams. That sounds about right. I mean, we're getting to the point where uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were counting Vandy as an automatic win, but we were still saying like it has to go a certain way. And the same thing with South Carolina, like we both picked them to lose because it was really a toss-up game, though, even though we're saying that. Mm-hmm. We're getting to the point now where every game throughout the season, probably besides New Mexico State, in a way, or well, I guess not Tennessee, but <laughs> right. in a way, is a is a like a Missouri could win this like how they won last week, or you probably not as bad, but you can see a realm of losing like how they lost at Kansas State for, if certain things happen. Not as bad, but just kind of like getting outplayed for most of the game and that, you know. Uh, aspect yeah i i agree with kyle mccormick i actually said this on another show i did like i think it's overly simplistic to look at like we do keys to the game and like turnovers should always be a key to the game right but i i think it's this simple the team that doesn't screw up wins this game whoever wins the turnover battle is probably winning this game because again i just don't see either offense being able to do too much to to create a lot of separation that is a good one, and it's probably the best answer. But it, the, my key to the game is probably going to be third down conversions. If they can get us to third and manageables again, like they did last week, they ended up going eight of 16. And I didn't know this. It feels like quietly Missouri's 50, 56th in the nation in third downs, while Kentucky is 71st. So if whoever's can get in, can get into those third and manageables, especially considering Kentucky wants to run the ball a lot and do things like that, and Missouri's trying to open up the offense and do these jet sweeps and all that, that can be the difference. And, and I think that that third down uh, stat from last week, I think that's almost entirely because of Cody Schrader. And not that he was the one converting every third yeah. down, but on first and 10, he was always managing to get two or three. Whereas... You know, there were times with Nate Pete in there when they're throwing on first down that you're finding yourselves in second and 16. And this team's just not equipped. But most teams aren't equipped for that. But this team especially isn't. When they're handing the ball to Cody Schrader, look, his bad runs gain a yard or two. And second and nine is just a whole lot easier than second and 14. It, it is. I mean, he was he's one of the un, unsung heroes because he's – his averages may not look as great. Like I know his PFF grade wasn't the greatest, but that's because he's not breaking off a 20 yard run or so every game, but those three or four yard runs, you know, second and seven, third and five, or, or like you said, much better than third and third and seven, third and eight plus. Yeah. Cause when you're in third and five, honestly, you can still throw that little flat pass to Dom Lovett and say, just break one tackle, man. just make one guy miss. And we've got a first down. Um, 
it, Ben brings up a, an interesting question. Which defensive unit do you think is better? I mean, I think it's natural for us to think Missouri is better, but that's because I've seen Missouri's defense play eight games and I haven't seen Kentucky's defense play every week. And oh, by the way, they're also coming off Tennessee, which is an unfair way to judge a defense. Right. And and I asked him about this. Is there any NFL prospects that, that we need to look out for? And he's saying, you know, this is more of a just a great or really good defense at the SEC, you know, college level. I would probably say Missouri, if we weren't just going off of what you said about watching the eight games, just because we think there's a handful of players who could be uh, playing on Sundays in the future. I, I think there's a handful of guys that are going to play in the pros. I don't think there's a guy on this defense that's a first or second round pick right now. Do you? I don't think there's a first or second round pick. Maybe not even a third. It may be a, like a late third type of thing. And it depends what team it is, what the need is. But I definitely think around the fourth or fifth round right now, it's a sweet spot for a few Missouri players. Yeah. Um, Michael says, I've wiped K-State from my memory. I think everybody else has too. Um, is this the first three three five they've seen? So it, it, I, I don't know if you've looked at it enough. Is Kentucky a three three five? Because I thought they were a three four. I, I haven't. I haven't even seen it. I've, I what I have noticed when I do watch some of these things is kind of like I've noticed Blake Baker. He'll his uh, alternate, I guess, package whenever they seem they're in trouble is he'll go to a five two. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky is switching out of three four and three three five whenever they see fit. Um, I have to look at it. You know, Thursday's my preview day, so right. I got to right. check it out. Yeah, and and I'll be honest, the only couple times I wanted to watch Kentucky play this year, by the time I could have turned the game on, I was like, oh, well, that game's over. I don't need to watch that game anymore, you know? So uh, so that's kind of been my Kentucky experience so far this year. Um, based on Kentucky's O-line struggles, seems like Baker will be blitzing early and often. I mean, maybe, but the thing is, I'm not sure he has to. He may not have to, but I also think, I mean, obviously, I don't think blitzing when, when they're running is a, you're one missed tackle away, one right. missed tackle away. And this this running back, if you ask me who's the better player, I think it's Chris Rodriguez. Or who's the more important player to, you know, get some oh, damage yeah. done, I'm thinking it's Chris Rodriguez. I would, if I were them, yeah, Levis, do what you want to do or do what you think you can do, but I would try to stop Chris Rodriguez. Well, and the interesting part is, you know, Will Levis is the supposed first-round pick, and they've got two really good freshman wide receivers. And I don't know. I, I don't view the Kentucky pass game as scary necessarily. No. Uh, uh, just from what we've gathered and, and what I know about Chris Rodriguez, so they're going to be trying to run the ball. That One of their wide receivers and their kick returner is uh, Barry and Brown. I was – he, he went to a high school in, in Nashville, Tennessee. So I kind of, during the state playoffs and stuff, I kind of got some some knowledge of him. He's very explosive. I think their special teams unit, like Drink said, is a top unit, even though South Carolina statistically ranks better than them. Kentucky can break off a big run or make a big play in, in you know the kickoff game at any point with Barry. Yeah, and this is the kind of game where one play can completely – I mean, when we're talking about a game we expect to be played in a phone booth, you know, 17-14, something like that, one play can can totally change it. AU Stock says uh, better chances for – so let's just expand this question. If you've got to sit here today, 5-7, and 6-6, seven, 7-5, six and six, seven and five, what do you lean? Uh... 
before we got on the on, on here with Justin, I would have said five and seven, but his confidence level doesn't sound that great covering the team. So I'd say six and six. It's starting to yeah. it's starting to pull me in, but I don't know. I can't fully trust him. But I'll say I'll be I'll be the happy guy. I'll say six and six. That that's what I think is most likely. I mean, look, if they lose this weekend, that could change. But as of today, I mean, I think I emailed you my prediction earlier today. I'm I'm leaning Missouri in this game. Uh so which would would have me land at six and six, but but anything certainly is is possible. Uh, Logan says the game's mm-hmm. going to be that. That's the thing. I mean, I just I don't see any scenario where somebody gets to gets past twenty four in this game. Nobody really has in any Missouri SEC game so far. I mean, Georgia got to twenty six. You know. And every time I think about the Georgia score, I just think how 12 of those points were off field goals. So like, right, right. it feels like an asterisk with it. But um, it is going to be a low-scoring game. Um, I, I haven't made my prediction yet, but I think the high man or high team might have probably like 20. Um, 20, 14, 20 to 13 is, is the area I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting kind of listening to Justin, how similar I think these – programs and these fan bases are and look i i know everybody wants to catch georgia right that's the goal everybody wants to play in atlanta but there are steps you've got to get get to before you get there and i think passing kentucky is would would be a gigantic step for missouri i mean they've lost six out of seven in this series and and you know just like justin saying kentucky fans have convinced themselves they they should never lose to missouri in football I mean, Missouri fans, when they joined the SEC, said we should never lose to Vanderbilt or Kentucky or South Carolina. I mean, it's amazing how these teams are all kind of in a group, and they all think we should always be three and zero against the other ones. Yeah, the, like you said, they're they're in the same realm. It feels like, or they could be in that third tier. Um, here's something I just I just keep looking at the uh, info sheet again. Both teams averaging twenty three point nine points per game. Yep. So they're so tied. they're just they're just. As good or bad, however you want to phrase it, <laughs> they're, and scoring the ball. Yeah. Well, they're they're tied for 97th in the country in scoring offense. So I'm going to go uh, bad. Yeah, bad. Uh, Kyle's I was trying asking, to be uh, optimistic. Kyle's asking a question about the weather. I did see a local weather guy tweet out uh, earlier today. He said it looks today like it should be dry by game time. Uh, it's going to be cold. It's going to be cloudy. It's going to be windy but uh, the rain should clear out by kickoff. So here's an interesting one. Freeway Jared says, do you think the bad blood is as bad as Martez Manuel alludes to? So you were there at SEC Media Days and again yesterday when Martez was talking. And I I would love to know what he's talking about because, I, I mean, Missouri and Kentucky have had some games certainly that went down to the wire and that left a bad taste in people's mouths. But I've never really gotten the sense like there was hatred between these teams, but Martez just reading what he said kind of makes it sound like maybe there is at least for him. What I'm gathering from Missouri players in, in about an hour and a half, couple hours, I'm going to go uh, talk to the offensive guys and ask some similar questions. But what I'm getting from defensive players that we talked to is the beef seems more between the players more so than it is the programs like drink and stoops from here and they're, they're complimenting each other back and forth. They're cool. And when I think rivalry, I'm thinking everything from the fans, coaches, players. Right now, it just seems like a kind of player beef. And it may be a player beef with these kids of the last few years, more so than it is uh, 
something that is expanding, you know, a long thing. It could have been a uh, somebody got a big lick in in one of these, uh, you know, games or made a play or something like that. So I'm just thinking it's more of a a competitive thing going on with the football players. Mm-hmm. And now they're both kind of similar with their defenses being good and their offenses being mid. <laughs> they're, right. They're, yeah. They're, to, they're just trying to see who can one up the other at this point. Well, well, the good news is, as you pointed out last week, Faroe Field has three tunnels. So it would be very poor management to get a repeat of Michigan, Michigan State, even if they don't like each other, you know. So uh, everybody rooting against that. Uh, last comment here from the peanut gallery. Kyle, Kyle's already trying to kick you off the show, Gerard. He wants to know when basketball shows start up. Uh, here, here, here I was again, thinking I'm adding a little seasoning over here. But I, <laughs> you know, my man's Drew was cool with us. So, yeah, I mean yeah. – that's a cool we can tag team the the, the, the videos or whatever. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. We did have uh we did have basketball media day today. Talk to Dennis Gates. Uh there's a video up with Aiden Shaw. Drew's got some takeaways on the message board. Uh exhibition opener tomorrow night, regular season opener Monday night. So really the next month is Look, the next month is why I hired a football guy and a basketball guy because it sucks covering both. I can tell you from experience, this is this is the worst month of the year if you're trying to do both of them. So we wanted to to make sure we have uh, each one individually covered for you guys. So yeah, uh, I don't know, Gerard, uh, you got you got football interviews tonight, writing a little bit about the rivalry tomorrow, and uh, here we go, game number nine, I guess. Yeah, season art is almost over. That's it's, it goes really quick. Yeah. It's, I, I always get to this point in the year and think it just kind of seems like it just started. But then if they make a bowl game, you get through about three bowl practices and you're like, oh, my God, this is never going to end, man. What, what's going on? Um, <laughs> well, we, You know what? We can really start talking about the bowls again at about 4 p.m. Saturday. Around 4 p.m. Saturday, we don't know if this team is – if I need to adjust my – I, well, I got I got bad news for you. Their their APR is in the top 30 in the country. I think this team's going to a bowl game even if they're 5-7. and seven. Really? That can yeah. happen? So, <laughs> it basically, if there's not enough teams that are 6-6, six and six, they go by academic progress rate from the top down. And there ain't going to be enough teams that are six and six, and Missouri's going to be toward the front of the line of five and seven teams. So, assuming they don't lose to New Mexico State, man, Christmas in Detroit. How's that sound for the Quick Lane Bowl? Oh, no bueno. <laughs> uh, no bueno. That's, yeah, we'll, we'll cross that bridge. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. We'll let you roll, Gerard. Appreciate your time, buddy. All right. All right. Uh, thanks to Gerard Hamilton. Thanks to Justin Rowland for joining us on this uh, preview show this week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, thanks to all you guys who did join us live, commented, had questions, all that. If you're here watching live, before you leave, please hit the like button on the show, the subscribe button on the channel. That helps us out a little bit, spreads the word about what we're doing, share it on social media. If you're uh, listening on the podcast, hey, you can still help us out. Just tell your friends what, you, what we're doing. Leave a nice review, say good things about us, all that. So I uh, want to thank all of you and want to thank, once again, James Carlton State Farm Insurance Uh, James just wants a shot to be your insurance agent. He's got a team of eight. If you call James's office at 314-961-4800, now you have to do it during business hours. But if you call them during business hours, 
the one thing I'll tell you, you're going to talk to a human being. You're not going to get a recording. You're not going to have to press one 17 times. You're not going to have to tell them what language you speak. You're going to get an actual human being who wants to help you out with your insurance needs. Also, if you tell him you heard about his agency on Power Mizzou, then he is going to donate. If he gives you a quote, he's going to donate $20 to Advancing Missouri Athletes, Mizzou's NIL Collective. So if your insurance costs a leg and an arm, James Carlton State Farm is where you want to go. CarltonInsurance.net, the website. And once again, the phone number is 314-961-4800. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on various shows and platforms this week. Uh, Plenty more coverage, football and basketball coming uh, leading up until Saturday. Mizzou's exhibition opener, 7 p.m. Wash U. Drew King and I will be there tomorrow night. Gerard over at Football Interviews tonight and kick off 11 a.m. Kentucky and Mizzou on Saturday morning. So thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you guys later.